0: Hello and welcome to Mystified. My name is Tasha. This is Steven. and this is a podcast where we bring you strange and unusual stories. What's up, Steven?
1: Not a whole lot.
0: How's it going?
1: It's uh, it's going, it's going. We're we're back. Uh, it's episode number two. Look at that triumphant return.
0: Yes, <laughs> episode number two of twenty twenty three. We are mid Q two, but it's totally fine. Um, you know. We get we we are never late. We arrive exactly on time
1: because we're wizards.
0: Because we are wizards. Okay. Um we don't have any staff, so.
1: Yes, we do. We have plenty. Do we? Yep.
0: Do we have cloaks? Uh yeah, we do. W- wizard robes? We we do. What about beards?
1: Not so much.
0: I do not have a beard. So, yeah. I don't know if I can be a wizard without a beard. I think we have to rectify that situation.
1: No. We most definitely don't <laughs> want to rectify that situation. Rude. No.
0: Why are you trying to hold me back? It's my body. I do what I want.
1: Somebody has to.
0: <laughs> Fine.
1: Somebody has to.
0: Yeah, no, we're here. Episode two. Welcome back. Feeling feeling good. It's um, not sweating. The sun's setting. It's nice and cool outside. So we're
1: <laughs> looks kind of like we could uh, have a storm any minute If you go out there. It's actually kind of purple in the D- sky.
0: Oh, cool. 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 So uh, if all of a sudden this episode cuts off, you know why? I don't know why we would release that, but <laughs> in case it does, that's the explanation for it. Um, hopefully not, though. All right. So, Steven, Yeah. Did you bring us something to talk about today?
1: No, I thought we'd just wing it.
0: Oh, cool. Um, not very good at freestyling. But
1: I know. <laughs> I know. No, actually, uh, it kind of plays in with uh, my previous comments about uh, the weather outside. What uh, What are your thoughts on this weather we've been having lately?
0: Like all the rain?
1: The rain, the repeated, like massive hailstorms, the.
0: Well, um, global warming is a lie, first <laughs> off. So I don't know where you're going with that topic, but no natural natural disasters suck and they've been especially in texas quite frequent here lately
1: it's strange like i don't think i think in the last what month or so we've probably had more hail storms than mm-hmm. i've ever experienced it's just like the earth just decided that hail was what it was gonna go right. try to wipe us out with right now and it's just been
0: large hell. It. yeah, yeah. Like- <laughs> large hell not tiny little like you know pea size but like golf balls
1: yeah golf balls up to like grapefruit size which that's not even a that's just a giant fucking rock like of yes. ice and i guess it's, it's good uh, for
0: the roofing businesses though you know
1: yeah body shops mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. glass people yeah
0: so nature is just trying to put more money back <laughs> into the economy by you know having it's get literally your shit trying
1: to salt us off the
0: planet like. <laughs> rude
1: rude but uh yeah but it's interesting though because this story happens at a time when we were both alive for when this wasn't normal and that's a big factor that plays into it okay um we've become pretty much numb these days to like catastrophic weather it's like somewhere every week Mm -hmm. there's a new storm that's like one for the ages or the storm of the century and uh it's almost like redundant we're like desensitized to it
0: Unless um, you're watching the weather channel and they <laughs> they can amp you up. Remember whatever it was like one of the hurricanes and it had the guy and he was standing there and he was like in with if it's a category three and the water's this high and mm-hmm. the water like behind Yeah, you, yeah. They had the
1: green like- screen water go <laughs> over his head.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like cars were floating by. <laughs> Uh, oh okay i'm sorry yeah but i I love the weather channel i'm such an old person
1: but, but. it's it's like weird though because if you watch like meteorologists these days it, they're really just like throwing darts yeah like we get all these predictions of like oh you need to you know button down the hatches there's going to gonna be a bunch of tornadoes and then we'll have clear skies right and then we'll have a slight chance of some rain and we'll have a flooded yard. Hell. Like, yeah. yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I literally remember when it wasn't like this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Summers were hot and dry. Yeah. yeah.
1: But that's actually part of the problem in this story, because this actually kind of surprised me because there is a man who is currently still in jail paying for an unprecedented weather event that I actually remember. Don't remember hearing about a man going to jail for it, but he's been in there for, oh, man, like 30 years now.
0: So, wait. Okay, I'm sorry. Hold on. Yeah. He's in jail because of a weather incident.
1: Yeah. Um this is going to be the curious story of James Scott and the role he played in the great flood of
0: 1993. Well, okay. Yep. Inter- interesting. Okay.
1: So, do you remember the great flood of 1993? When, like, the Midwest was underwater?
0: Kind of, yeah. Yeah, we did. were
1: kids, so it's not like... You remember the images on I the was, TV Excuse of me, the,
0: like... I was 13. I was a young adult, a, t- a teenager. I had come out of my preteen era. I was now, you know, uh-huh. smart.
1: Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway. No, but I
0: do remember, yeah, because we talked about it in school. Like, yeah, it was, it was yeah. all
1: the rage. Um, yeah. So, according to what I was able to find out, which I don't remember any of this anecdotally from being a child, um, the trouble all started in 1991 with the eruption of Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines. I don't remember hearing about this at all, which is weird because it's the second largest volcanic eruption in the 20th century. This eruption started in April of 91 and continued until September. Oh,
0: my God.
1: Right. Because of the massive size of this eruption, it created what is known as a volcanic winter.
0: Right. Where there's all the ash in the air, right? Be, well,
1: yeah, because it injected a bunch of ash into the stratosphere. Yeah. It's estimated that the ash reduced the amount of sunlight reaching the Earth's surface by as much as 10%. That's how much ash it shot up into the stratosphere. Like
0: around the world? Right. Or just over the around Philippines? Around the world. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Uh,
1: the effect on the Earth's surface was one of Cooling. But the same couldn't be said for the stratosphere, which became much hotter than normal due to the absorption of all the radiation from the eruption. Right. Cloud that was formed in the stratosphere by the eruption remained there for three years and is thought to have contributed to the formation of both the 1993 storm of the century and the Great Flood of 1993. So it was just like hanging out up there, getting ready to just like literally destroy some shit in a couple of years. Okay. (laughs) The flooding didn't actually start until 92. It rained more than usual in the Midwest and was also cooler than usual, which meant that the soil remained moist.
0: Yeah. Oh, don't we know about that? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It also meant that the reservoirs and other bodies of water were either full or already slightly above capacity. The rains continued through the summer and fall of 92, and then it snowed a whole hell of a lot that winter. Then in the spring of 93, the rains came back and kept going all the way into the summer. So this is all going on in the Midwest, just massive amounts of water. And the rest of the country is in the midst of heat waves and droughts. So like all the precipitation is just like battering the Midwest while everybody else is drying out
0: in midwest is that a lot of farmland
1: yeah that's okay. where most of the earth's food comes from oh cool believe it or not. <laughs> cool. yeah not, um, not
0: important not at no. all okay
1: um between april and the end of august of 93 eastern and central iowa had received nearly 48 inches of rain the northern plains region in general saw an increase in rainfall between 400 and 750 percent above average And there was no place for any of this water to go. The ground was saturated. The reservoirs and the rivers were full and it just uh, started piling up and it wasn't just rural farmlands. I mean, that's mostly what's up there. But for instance, like the city of St. Louis, very narrowly avoided being completely underwater. They made a rash decision in the 60s, which was building a, a flood wall and everybody thought it was the stupidest fucking idea of all time, but it literally saved them from being flooded by two foot. Mm. Because the St. Louis River managed to crest at 49.6 foot, Jesus. which is 20 feet above flood level.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, um, it was it was intense. Yeah. The flooding was massive and widespread all throughout the Midwest. Some locations along the Mississippi River were considered flooded for nearly 200 days. Some places were relatively lucky with the official days of flooding being less than 100 but not by a whole lot, like uh, still a whole long time
0: to be be flooded. Yeah.
1: Um, When all was said and done, officially, the flood cost at least 32 lives, 100,000 homes, and an estimated between 15 to 20 billion in damages. It's likely that it actually cost a lot more lives, but they were people that nobody missed. They, mm. you know, may have had no families. Aldous, I mean, like we live in a rural like lakefront area and there's a lot of people out here that don't have families. They, you know, they were yeah. They came out here to get away. If they were swept away in a flood. Yeah. Who the fuck would miss it? So, right. Yeah. It's likely that there was many, many more people actually lost because a lot of what the where the flooding was the worst was along like the Mississippi River. And you know what's built along rivers, trailers. Mm -hmm. Like poor people in trailers definitely not going to stand too good in a, a massive, ridiculous flood. Yeah. But that all brings us to James Robert Scott and his plight. Now, James was born November 20th, 1969, and grew up in the town of Quincy, Illinois. There's not really a whole lot you can find out about him as a youth. Um, He definitely wasn't a a choir boy. He was a little poor kid, seemed to have frequent run-ins with the law, and had been in and out of correctional facilities. Most of his convictions were for burglary, but the two that really stand out were for arson. Mm, The first arrest for arson came back when James was 13 in 1982. Apparently him and his brother burned down their elementary school.
0: Oh, my
1: God. Yeah. um, That's pretty bad.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And then in 1988, at the age of 19, he went on another arson spree and ended up getting a seven year prison sentence for it for his troubles. Didn't kill anybody or, you know, just destruction of property. But like he set multiple buildings on fire in that mm-hmm. spree. Well, yeah. um, fire bug. But what's interesting is that he was paroled and out in 1991. So he must have. Yeah, he must have done pretty good while he was on the inside and like not made life worse for himself. But that also put him out just in time for the uh, flood and storms to begin. Okay. he also once he would get out, would marry his uh, girlfriend, Susie. And that's going to become important later because it's going to uh, play into the the story that that gets created okay so him and his wife they're they're doing their thing um I think he's working at the prestigious uh Burger King establishment
0: mm-hmm. okay. and
1: his wife is working at a truck stop
0: lame world whoppers yep. can't can't go wrong there a good whopper <laughs> is 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 really good now bad whoppers are really bad but if you can get a good fresh whopper chef's kiss so good <laughs>
1: So the couple don't actually live in the town of Quincy. They live in the unincorporated area outside known as Fowler. I don't know what they were living in. I don't know their exact living situation. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there's not a whole lot said about this guy, but he was just your typical small town. Yeah. Like got you know, in trouble,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. acted
1: stupid, like, mm-hmm. you know, nothing, nothing special really about him. Um, He liked to drink, of course, and uh, go partying. Um, he liked to have a few beers at home. He liked to go to the local honky tonk. He liked to go out to his buddies. He liked to go out to the river. He just, he just liked to drink when he was off. Like that was his, that was his Mm -hmm. pastime. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can relate. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Anybody that's grown up in a small town, like that's what you do. And what's one of the things though, is his, one of his favorite hangouts was the river, which is also when you live in a small town and there's water like you're just like, hey, let's go buy that water and drink some beer like it's mm-hmm. it's what happens. Yeah. But he fondly remembers going down to the river and drinking and watching the stars and all that stuff. But in 93, people were looking at that river with a little bit less uh, love because it was threatening, you know, pretty much everything around them. Right. The waters were rising rapidly and uh, the whole town was in danger of being submerged, much like everything else. So in 93, the Army Corps of Engineers had were in the area trying to keep an eye on and maintaining the levees that were the only thing standing between the town and, you know, being underwater. Most of the locals um, had already had their livelihoods interrupted by the flooding, and so they devoted their time to helping in any way they could, shoring up the levees and just volunteering. And even though James was not, you know, a uh, super, super uh, civil minded man, he, he was out there helping too. By his account, he had been volunteering at the levee for four days before the day that would change his life forever. Most of the volunteer work was nothing more than helping with sandbagging. I mean, Mm -hmm. there wasn't a whole hell of a lot else you could do. Um, And then on July the 15th of 1993, both James and his wife Susie showed up to help, but were told that there was no more to be done that day. And so they headed to the local hangout and then to his half brother's house to do some drinking. The next morning, the couple parted ways early. Susie had to work the early shift at the 18 Wheeler, the truck stop that she worked at. And James. Wait, wait, wait.
0: The 18 wheeler. The 18 wheeler. wheeler. (laughs) It's
1: the name (laughs) of the truck stop.
0: Man, they they really went hard on that creativity. That was
1: super, super like swinging for the fences.
0: Right on the nose. (laughs) (laughs) But James was
1: off that day. So he decided he would go down to the levee and help out like normal. So the two were supposed to meet up uh, that afternoon. To have lunch, and then they were going to go out and go do some more drinking that evening. I mean, you know, like, what,
0: that's, that's what you do, that's what they do. There was no internet, <laughs> there was, you know, what was that play? Was that PlayStation? Yeah, that's just basic PlayStation. That,
1: that's not in a, no, not if you're dirt poor like that, you no, But I'm that just saying, yet.
0: like, that's really all you had. Like, no, you wasn't...
1: had Nintendo and Super Nintendo,
0: yeah, probably some Super Nintendo, yeah, true.
1: So James spent that morning helping out any way that he could. Uh, That day, the Corps of Engineers was worried about the tarps that were covering the levees because they were getting strained and ripping and stuff like that. And so they decided they were going to get some volunteers into boats and have them tape up where the tarps were ripping. But they couldn't get the boat started. So then Mm -hmm. they gave James and a few other volunteers, waiters and tape and like, I guess, told them just to do what they could. So James is working with another guy by the name of either Bob or Rudy. He can't remember for sure. And the pair notice an issue while they're making their way along the levee up towards the Quincy Memorial Bridge. They find and report this to a member of the National Guard who's on duty there, a man by the name of Duke Kelly. They tell Kelly they'd observed water seeping from underneath one of the tarps, but Kelly didn't seem too concerned. Apparently, he wasn't even in charge of the area that the leak was in or the area that he was in and said that he'd report it if it seemed concerning enough. Mm -hmm. Apparently, it wasn't. So he never reported it to anybody. But that evening. The levy broke. It should be pointed out here that this shouldn't have shocked anyone. Dr. David Hammer, who was called to testify for the defense in James' second trial, is a soil and atmospheric scientist with decades of experience. He testified that there are six parameters that increase the likelihood of a levee failure and that the West Quincy Levee met all six at the time of its failure. Yeah, the levee was already mismanaged. Those in charge grossly underestimated a surge from the Raccoon River. The raccoon was flowing much faster than anyone had anticipated, rushing its way into the Mississippi and destroying levees along the way. By the time its influx of water made it to the levee in West Quincy, it had already contributed to the failure of at least 13 other levees.
0: Okay, so, yeah, it's just going down the line, getting stronger each time.
1: Uh, The West Quincy Levee District had taken to TV three days before the levee failed, but had promised everybody that the levee was not going to fail. This was despite the fact that they had been continuously trying to reinforce it using just about every method they can think of. At this point, it was completely waterlogged. It had been holding back rising water for 90 days already. God. It was so soggy, they couldn't even drive vehicles on it.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So they couldn't even, like, really do anything other than, like, put sandbags on it because it was literally just soaked sand. Yeah. Um, so, it yeah, it was destined to fail, and it did. Mm-hmm. But okay. they had to find someone to take the blame for it. Because all those engineers and management folks, it couldn't have been their fault. Right. Somebody had to have caused this.
0: So, wait, somebody caused the entire <laughs> levee to be soggy. Yep. And, and fell the, the, the 14th one to fell in a row. Yep. But this one, it was caused by a person.
1: So that evening, as James is going out to the, uh, His car to leave the levee. Two men pass him and tell him what had just happened the levee had failed. So he headed back towards the levee and on his way started mentioning to other people that he was passing what he had been told that the levee had failed. On his way back, he's spotted by Michelle McCormick of news station WGEM Channel 10 in Quincy. She pulls him aside and asks him a few questions about his helping out and what had happened. James appears shy and a little bit intimidated by the spotlight, but he does his best to answer their questions. I mean, he's also not mm-hmm. he's like a 20-something year old kid that just heard that like this levy, like Yeah. It, yeah. It putting him on some kind of like pedestal and being like, oh yeah, he's definitely acting weird. No, he's a fucking kid.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah.
1: Um, and he's also a drunk. So there's, yeah. there's also that. But yeah, so he goes back and he tries to help the Coast Guard who were loading boats into the rising floodwater. And then the news lady grabs him again and interviews him again. And this would be a fatal mistake for Mr. Scott, because as luck would have it, Sergeant Neil Baker of the Quincy PD happened to be watching the coverage that night at 10 p.m. Baker was well acquainted with James Scott and was not a fan of his. He was the type of guy a small town cop made sure to keep an eye on, and here he was on the news at ground zero during a traumatic event that no one could yet understand. So instead of listening to James as a fellow traumatized human being, Baker instantly went into cop mode and starts picking apart James's answers to the questions he was asked. He also decided, apparently, that the man looked too clean for having been working on a levee all day. So in okay. one yeah. In one TV interview, James has landed directly on the radar of an entire community looking for someone to blame for their extremely bad luck, and Baker wasted no time sharing his suspicions. Soon, a task force was formed with joint cooperation between county, state, and federal law enforcement to figure out who sabotaged this levy.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Why would this levy, the water (laughs) sabotage the levy like it did the 13 other levies? Right. Right the how is this a person we, we knew it was going to fail? We, we've been trying to prevent it from failing. Well, but
1: see the thing is is we got this one local ne'er-do-well out there, and <sighs> uh you know, this just don't happen. Okay. so nothing really gets going for a little while. Uh, but then on October 1st, as James is punching out at Burger King, Baker and his younger brother, who's also a detective. Arrest James for a recent local burglary. Both officers knew the charges were bogus. Scott had been at work at the time the crime was committed, but they were still able to pick him up and bring him in on suspicion. James vehemently denied having committed the crime. He told them he had been clean the entire time he had been out of prison and had been working on turning his life around. Of course, the cops knew he hadn't committed the burglary, so they slowly started turning the conversation to the levy. Scott repeated what he had already been telling everyone, and what he had said in the interview. He admitted to removing four sandbags from one area and moving them to another, trying to stop the inevitable. They listened to his claims and released him the next morning, where he returned to his normal life of working by day and drinking by night. Unbeknownst to him, though, his enemies in the police department were working overtime to get an indictment.
0: An indictment because he moved four sandbags.
1: The law they ended up charging him under was intentionally causing a catastrophe. This is a law that had been on the books, but no one had ever been charged under it, and no one has since.
0: I'm I'm so I'm so confused because, granted, I know this is before the internet. I I know this, and and I know these are boomers. I like I get that, but how the fuck do you? It's not like it only happened there. that's the thing that that i i don't get like there there is step by step by step by step the water came down and more and more and more (laughs) but your particular because you don't like this guy he must have done he had the power one guy one
1: One 24 year old that works at burger King
0: (laughs) is such a sophisticated engineer criminal mastermind That he knew how to break this levy that the Army Corps of Engineers is actively working on trying to fix. He was able to undo all of
1: that. What are they trying to do? They're trying to keep it from failing. They're not trying to fix it. They're trying to keep it from failing. That's the important distinction. It's already failing. (laughs) They're trying to Mm. keep it from completely failing. And yes,
0: this one guy. But this is small town personal vendetta. He doesn't like this guy either burned down a building that his family owned or something like, no, this is this is personal. This has nothing to fucking do with a levy.
1: Well, see, the thing is, is that the police and the FBI and everybody else that was working on this were struggling too to build a case because it's very, very circumstantial. Right. But then, lo and behold, a witness appears.
0: Of course they do.
1: The witness was another one of Quincy's less than uh, popular subjects, uh, a man by the name of Joe Flax. Flax claimed that one night, while at a party, James had told him he had plans to sabotage the levy, and he even provided them with a motive. Apparently, James's diabolical plan was to sabotage the levy so that his wife Susie would be stuck at work and he could party and have an affair. What? Yep. That so,
0: doesn't even make <laughs> sense because if you sabotage the levy and everything floods, you can't go nowhere to party and have an affair. Like, and, and people don't just plan to have an affair. <laughs> like it's normally I'm going to go bang so-and-so. So right. that doesn't even, nobody says that. No one's like, man, I wish I could make sure my old lady was stuck at the 18 wheeler so that I could go have an affair.
1: But what's even fucking worse is that he didn't,
0: What did this guy get?
1: Scott picked his wife up within 24 hours. And I like I read he sat in traffic for, I think, six hours because going around the like. Yeah. So, no, he had to go way out of his fucking way. And he still picked her up within 24 hours of the levy breaking.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's what did this guy get? This guy Uh, got picked up for something and he got fucking he got a deal.
1: Well, see, Scott admits to talking to Joe Flax at a party, but claims he did not even mention the levy to him. He said they talked about fishing.
0: OK, it makes sense.
1: Interestingly, though, all attempts by multiple parties to find Mr. Flax and talk to him. Nobody's been able to. He did exist. Mm. He did testify, but mm. he has refused to um, ever go on camera or on mic and say anything about it in all the years since this happened. But it's also really interesting to point out that at the time of this revelation and this uh, whole conversation, Mm -hmm. Joe Flax was 16.
0: He's a fucking kid. He
1: is a child.
0: He is a kid that got caught doing something and got scared Uh by a. uh, How do I say this without going to jail? (laughs) By a um, villain wearing a uniform. Mm -hmm. That has a personal vendetta against someone else. And yeah, that's oh, my God, that's awful.
1: Beyond that, like. It's also, yeah, this cop, he did definitely have a grudge, but also the entire town had a grudge and the entire town wanted somebody to blame.
0: And why not blame the guy that burned down half your fucking town?
1: Right. And that's yeah. the thing is, and they didn't want just like a slap on the wrist or no they they literally wanted him to be hung from the bridge and left for the birds. Like it's it was fucking scary the kind of shit these people were saying.
0: And um, they ain't even in the south.
1: No. Well, but, I mean the Midwest is the south part too. But I'm uh, just saying
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're we're bad. That's real bad. Yeah. Well, mm.
1: they they get a lot more credit in the Midwest than they do. Like they literally are just as bad as the Well, they South. don't
0: get any more credit now.
1: Well, they shouldn't. I'm glad that I finally turned you around against them like like you should have been. Because-
0: I I didn't realize I was <laughs> on their side, but now I'm glad I'm really really not yeah. on their side cuz that's some bullshit.
1: Yeah, I I've had some Man. friends that grew up in the Midwest and it is not it's not great. They mm. they're not great. Um But yeah, the sentiment in the town was so against uh, James that the trial got moved, but it didn't even matter because he got convicted relatively quickly. He appealed alleging prosecutorial misconduct Mm -hmm. and it was upheld and he was granted a new trial and they did a better job defending him at the second trial, but he was still convicted. Hot, And this is in spite of actual scientists testifying that there was nothing he could have done that would have caused the levee to break and that it was doomed no matter what. Yeah. The prosecution's asinine theory involves that 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 James somehow manages to burrow through the sand of the levee until the water comes rushing in. Mind you, this is millions of gallons of water and they they. They're saying that he he,
0: would not have survived.
1: Yes, exactly. The rush of the water busting through it would have killed him.
0: Yeah. And plus, wouldn't someone have noticed (laughs) this guy burrowing through the fucking Like, Oh my, this is, I am so frustrated with (laughs) the fact that this, this guy is still in jail. How is this guy still in jail? Is anybody an attorney? Does anybody listen to this? That is a freaking attorney. This guy should not be in jail.
1: So just aside from this ridiculous theory, despite the lack of evidence, despite the fact that one of the Corps of Engineers own people admitting that he couldn't rule out failure due to natural causes on the witness stand, despite the fact that the initial reports that the Corps of Engineers made two months before Scott was arrested, stated that natural causes was an issue. And despite the fact that an anonymous whistleblower from inside the core talked about how people in the office were joking about how they were going to pin this on James, he still got convicted. God. And they sentenced him to life in prison. And that's where he still is today. Um, He's never tried to convince anybody that he didn't have problems, that he didn't. He's never tried to say that he didn't burn anything down, that he didn't run around, that he wasn't a drunk, that he didn't do any of this stuff. But he has always refused to admit to destroying the levy.
0: Yeah, because there's no way he did. That That is the most ridiculous and that's thing.
1: that's why he's never been paroled. Because he will not admit to doing it. Because he didn't fucking do it. <laughs> and he's he's willing to sit in a fucking jail cell for the rest of his life because he's not going to cop to doing some to admitting to something that he didn't no. do.
0: This is a town that had a vendetta against a guy and they didn't like that he got out of prison so early after burning some shit down and they found a way to put him away.
1: There's yeah. there is multiple layers to it though. Because there is that, but there's also something that VICE uncovered because VICE did a little documentary about him. And that is that there was a financial uh, motive for it because at the time, like today, flood insurance and like natural disaster insurance, because we're more and more used to these ridiculous storms and shit, it's changed. But at the time, it wasn't such. So like a lot of the people and a lot of the like, especially the big farms and stuff, weren't insured for uh, acts of God because they'd never had experienced anything like this. But they were insured for acts of vandalism and acts of man.
0: Blaming someone,
1: blaming somebody, they got to file on their insurance.
0: Motherfucker!
1: Because they were able to convict somebody for a human for doing it, it meant that a lot of people got a lot of money in settlements from their insurance companies. Oh, yep.
0: My gosh. Okay. Well.
1: So that is the story of uh, Mr. James Scott, the man who is still rotting in prison today for um, causing a catastrophe that there's no possible way he caused. That's awful. Yep. Yep. All yep, those yep.
0: people should be ashamed of themselves.
1: Yeah. They're not, but they should be. Uh, Vice has talked to a couple of them, and it's kind of interesting because most of the people that they talk to, even like the the sheriff and stuff that set this up, They don't think that he should still be in prison. Like, you can see their conscience is starting to wear on them, but they're not going to, like, Mm -hmm. do anything to make it right. Right. Because he's still just this, you know, white trash piece of shit. Like, so, I mean, yeah, he probably shouldn't be in prison no more, but we're not going to help get him out. Like... Uh. Yeah, it's uh, it's real uh, real bad. Like, <laughs>
0: well, to be fair, okay, you don't think he's a white trash piece of shit. You're saying they think he's a white trash yeah. piece of shit. You're yeah, okay? no, you just came out and said it, and I think there should have been a clarification <laughs> that that's not our opinion of the guy. We just think he's just a guy from a small town. Uh, the people around him have a bad opinion of him.
1: Yeah, yeah. I obviously, I, I don't think it. I think it's pretty clear what I think. Um, yeah. that's the whole reason why I wanted to do this story. Because I'm just, I'm still flabbergasted that this is uh, something that hasn't been rectified. I don't know why, like, none of these associations that, like, you know, work with prisoners to help get yeah. people who are innocent. I, I, like, where the fuck is the Innocence Project? Why has nobody got this dude out? Like,
0: yeah,
1: he's, I think he's in his, like, 50s now. Like, he's spent, he's spent more of his life in jail than he ever spent on the outside. Thoughtful. And he fucked up a couple of times as a kid pretty bad but still yeah just over insurance money it's um something else so yeah I'm glad I could uh brighten yeah. everybody's day with that story of a gross injustice there
0: yeah that's um that's not nice that was <laughs> that was not nice at all I I, that's awful that guy's in in prison
1: well hopefully with more and more people coming across this case and talking about about it yeah, and picking it up like vice doing it helped I think there's a couple other podcasts that have also found this story and that's the thing is that like I remember as a kid the flooding and I remember like seeing the images on TV of like the Midwest under muddy waters I don't remember hearing about this guy and it seems like like when I recently was made aware of this I was like wait what?
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: that doesn't that's not a thing that should be I right. think that's a thing that's that way on purpose because if enough people knew about this I really think that it would be different
0: yeah hopefully vice covering it it'll get some some action on it because yeah that's wrong
1: yeah like it's uh, it's very wrong and it's uh, something that needs to be rectified and um, he needs to be out of prison and at least have a chance to live the rest of his life.
0: Not behind bars. Yeah.
1: Fucking ridiculous. Let him
0: get a little cut of that insurance money.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, That uh, these other people were able to rebuild their lives on at the cost of his.
0: Yeah. it's Awful. Yeah. Awful. Awful. It is. Well, all right then. So that's how you end on a high note. (laughs) Um, Sorry, James. Hopefully you get out of prison. Cool. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We really appreciate it. If you want to come over to our website and check out some of our other episodes, our merch, leave a review, send us a message, um, anything like that. You can do that. We're at mystifiedpod.com. We are on the social medias. So on Instagram at mystified underscore pod. And we are on Facebook. We do have a Facebook group. You can come hang out with us there if we remember to log into it because we try to stay away from Facebook a little bit. But, you know, you know how it is, mental health and all that. So, yeah, yeah. any um, I really don't want you to add anything because what you brought today (laughs) has just I'm not happy with with the Midwest right now. Um, Not all the Midwest, just this one particular town and these particular people. Cause that's just sh- so shitty. But, um, and all the people that are like, well, if you don't do anything wrong, you ain't got nothing to worry about.
1: Yeah. That's obviously not the case. Not true.
0: Not true. But yeah, cool.
1: Well, uh, the thing that I'm going to add is that this is, I'm, I'm going to probably do a few more stories kind of in this vein, um, just in the near future, because there's, There's a lot of them. There's a lot of and that's that's how it fits into our whole motif is because we like the mystifying, the absurd, the ridiculous. And this absolutely is one of those. Yeah. And it's not it's par for the course. There's plenty of other ones out there that you hear it and you're like there's no way this happened on a real planet with real Mm -hmm. people who are capable of using logic. No
0: way this happened in a first world country. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah, Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be throwing a couple of those out there. Um, So hopefully uh, everybody's cool with that. (laughs) Not really.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, no, but if you don't know, then you can't enact change. So you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So yeah. And it's, it's important to know shit like this. It's it's very important to know that these things can happen um, and they do happen and they try to happen quietly so people don't know about it, but yep. people need to know about it.
1: And that's the number one thing is that like, if you can keep a story, hush, hush, and you don't let it get out, then you have a man sitting on life for 30 years for something he didn't do. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. For a levy breaking, something that would be impossible for someone to do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah it isn't a bond movie no one's blowing up um levees so yeah cool all right then well thank you so much for joining us we appreciate it bye mystified Podcast. podcast